On Friday, Leanne and I were fortunate enough to celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, they must have had to get permission from their parents to do that because they <laughs> surely couldn't be quite that old. And we were pretty young. <clears throat> Um, but it, it was a blessing because we had a couple days to ourselves and we got to do some things together and that was really nice and it was just a reminder once again of just how blessed I am and I, th I think Leanne would say the same thing and how important that relationship is for my life and how it's affected my life and how it's been a blessing for a very long time and how I anticipate the future. And, you know, this week we're actually leaving tomorrow to go down to Georgia and on Saturday we're going to have a big celebration for my folks because they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary this week. So with, with all that in my head, you know, I, I don't take this lightly, do you? I don't take these relationships lightly that transform our lives, that <clears throat> really do last a lifetime. Many of us have witnessed. We've been close to marriages that, that fell apart, marriages that ended in divorce, people that we love, maybe even family members, parents, children, siblings, close friends. And we've seen people that, man, they were in love and then something happened or a lot of things happened and the marriage ended up in divorce. And it's grieved us and it's caused us pain. Some of you have been through that yourself and you know what that is and you know how it's affected you. And so today as we come to this sixth or seventh of the commandments, we begin to think of just how important these marriages are. You know, when we look at our culture, we see that the divorce rate is very high, but what surprises me, and whenever I see these studies, is that the divorce rate among Christians is about the same as it is for everyone else. And, you know, maybe we think we should be better at this somehow. Somehow we Christians should know something that would help us figure this out better than everyone else does. But the numbers say we don't. And I read a study this week. This was of everyone, but it was in 2009, so maybe we can hope it's changed. But 57% of married women regretted marrying their husbands. That's a big number. Some of you are looking at each other going, did they ask you that question? <clears throat> That's a really big number to me. To think that over half of the women, and I have no idea what it would be for men, but over half the married women said, man, I wish I'd found somebody else. Or maybe I wish I'd found nobody at all. And it just highlights how fragile marriages are. You know, marriages fail for lots of reasons. They usually involve some kind of sin, and our minds immediately go to sexuality, and we'll talk about that today, but there's lots of things involved there. Lots of different sins can cause a marriage to sort of fall apart. Sin is amplified in a relationship that is that close, that intimate, and it's usually a combination of a lot of things. We're going to think about that today and how to overcome that, how to avoid that. You know, but marriage requires work requires investment and if a person is worth marrying that it's worth investing in that person over the years over the decades to make that marriage work today we continue in the series that i'm calling true north 
And we've been thinking about how to find the direction we're headed today and then thinking about how to change that direction to go in the direction that God is calling us. And we could look in lots of places. We could look in the Ten Commandments. We could probably look in the Sermon on the Mount. We could look at the book of James. But in this series, we're thinking about these Ten Commands that really summed up so much of the law for the people of Israel. And thinking about what these commands say about God and what they say about us and our most important relationships. And today, we come to this command that speaks to marriage and speaks to what it means for people to commit to one another for a lifetime. We know that a healthy marriage is better than an unhealthy one. We know that a healthy marriage is better than divorce. So what does it take? Well, I don't have enough time to say all of that, and I don't even know all of that, but, but I do know what this command says, and I want us to focus in on what it says and allow it to speak into our lives. It's pretty simple. We find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, just a few words, and it says this. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. That's pretty straightforward. Now, when this was first spoken, it's probably seen slightly different than in our world, and what we've been doing in this series is focusing in on what did this mean to the people who first heard it, and then what does it mean to us once we've established that. And we have to remember that Israel, ancient Israel, was a very patriarchal culture. In other words, the men made all the rules. Okay, so the way they first interpreted this, and we see this at work in ancient history, is that a man could commit adultery against another marriage, okay? If he had sex with another man's wife, he committed adultery against that man and against that marriage. But it was not adultery if a man had sex with an unmarried woman, even though he was married. Now, a woman, on the other hand, could commit adultery against another marriage. She has sex with a married man or her own marriage. If she had sex with a man other than her husband, that was adultery against her marriage. Not quite fair, was it? But what we see is it wasn't long before ancient Israelite teachers and ancient Christian teachers saw that this could go both ways. If there was sex outside the marriage, then it was adultery, and it was a violation of this command. Now, what's this command trying to teach us? I think it's really teaching us that this is certainly about adultery, but it's really about faithfulness, and it's about the importance of sexuality. You know, we can't minimize that. It's a little uncomfortable to talk about it, but here's the thing. Sex really does matter, okay? Because it is so intimate, because it is so personal, because it is so private, it really does have a tremendous impact on the relationship. Walter Brueggemann, one of the great Old Testament scholars, in his commentary on Exodus says that sex is both wondrous and dangerous. And I like those two words put together. It's wondrous in that it brings two people together in a way that nothing else does, nothing else could. It brings them together physically, spiritually, emotionally. It's a way of expressing ourselves in, in, in something that is completely different than every other part of life. It binds people together in a powerful way. God created it certainly to reproduce and to bring two people together. It is wondrous in that. It is also dangerous. Because if it's expressed in the wrong way or with the wrong person, 
then it can do tremendous damage to the relationship and to the people involved and the people who surround them. So it is both wondrous and dangerous. It matters how we express our sexuality. We can't pretend this is not a big deal because it's always a big deal. But I don't think this command is just about sexuality. It's also about faithfulness. It's also about a relationship that's based in trust. You don't live with someone for decades without having a few difficult moments. And you don't live with someone for decades without building a relationship of trust and faithfulness. And it is our faithfulness that allows us to grow in that relationship. And so when this command, when Moses came down the mountain and spoke to the people and said, you shall not commit adultery, he's saying it matters how we express our sexuality. And as uncomfortable as it might make us, we should talk about it. And it matters whether we're faithful to our spouses. Because on those foundations, we can begin to build a healthy marriage. There's a lot more involved. There's much more involved. But we have to pay attention to this. So I think that's where this began to go. And that's what God is expressing to those people and to us. But as Christians, I think we also want to hear what Jesus had to say about this. So we hear that over in Matthew chapter 5. We looked there last week as Jesus took the command not to murder and expanded on that. Jesus does that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is what the law says, and I'm telling you this. And he takes it to the heart, and that's exactly what happens in this passage. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. Well, where was that? Ten Commandments. We just read it. Jesus took that seriously. But he goes a little further. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That is really strong language, isn't it? Jesus says it's true. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't physically have sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. Okay, but he says that begins in the head and the heart. And when we begin to lust after someone other than our spouse, that too is a sin in God's sight. And it's dangerous because it leads to other things. And so Jesus, just like God in the Old Testament, is telling us that our sexuality matters and our faithfulness matters. Jesus just takes it one step further. It's not just about our physical faithfulness. It's also about our emotional faithfulness, our intellectual and spiritual faithfulness to our spouses. What we think matters. How we look at other people matters as well. And so we have to guard our hearts and our minds against adultery as well as our bodies against adultery. Here's how I would put it. Guard your marriage to keep it strong. Guard your marriage 
to keep it strong. I think that's at the heart of what the commandment says and what Jesus tells us as he expands on that command. It takes some guarding to keep a marriage strong for decades. Now, it would be, it would be great if I could say marriage is always easy. It would be great if I could say, you know what, you're never going to have to forgive your spouse because they're such a good person that they're never going to do anything that hurts you. It would be great if I could say that there's never going to be a conflict in your marriage. There's never going to be hurt feelings. There's never going to be cross words. Now, I think if I took a survey, most of the married people in the room would say, that would be nice, but that's just not the way it is. I mean, marriages are made of two people, and none of us are perfect. And we do things and we say things that cause hurt and require forgiveness. And so we have to, have to be able to forgive if we're going to stay together. There are times when we will be hurt. It happens but it's worth the hard work. And part of the message of this passage is that relationship, even with our imperfections, is worth investing in, and it is worth guarding. When we say, I do, when we make that commitment to one another, we need to also make the commitment to guard the marriage. Because if we don't, it can so easily slip off the rails. You know, many of us, I think most of us, long for a relationship where we know that someone loves us. We long for a relationship where we know even with our imperfections that this person still accepts me. We long for a relationship where, yes, we know that we're not perfect, but they're going to forgive us. We long to be loved unconditionally. Marriage is about all of those things, and it requires all of those things from both people. So as we say, guard your marriage to keep it strong, so there's two things that we have going on here. The first, guard the relationship. Okay? There's this part of what passes between these two people. There's this relational part of this that's held in common. It's what we have together. And so part of keeping this marriage strong and really avoiding the temptation to go in the direction that the command talks about and then Jesus expands upon is we've got to build into one another. One of the best ways to avoid all of that is to keep the relationship strong, to invest in the relationship. You know, it's easy for us, I think. It's easy after a few years, maybe a few decades, to sort of put it on autopilot, right? To just assume everything's going to always be like it always was. To assume that our spouse knows how we feel. To assume that we don't necessarily have to tell them how strongly we feel about them. They'll know, right? They've always known. It's always been this way. That we don't really need to, to do anything about this relationship. We just need to sort of ride along and assume it's the way it always was. Well, this is going to be a relationship that lasts for decades. It's going to require some investment. 
going to require us to put something in it. To treat our spouses as we want to be treated. I mean, it's just a biblical principle, right? To show our faithfulness, not only in terms of sexuality, but in everything else. Emotional honesty, to talk about our struggles, to share life. It's all needed. We need to guard the relationship. And second, we need to guard ourselves. You need to guard yourself. You see, the relationship is, is what's held in common, but, but a marriage is made of two individuals, two people. And so we have to guard what's together, but we also need to guard ourselves, and it takes both people doing this. Guarding who we are, and this is a lot of what this command is talking about and a lot of what Jesus is talking about. It's think about where you are emotionally and intellectually and spiritually and physically. Where you, are you in this relationship? Are, are you allowing other things into that? I mean, at its core, I think what the command says and what Jesus says, because the sexuality part is here, is that we owe our spouses all of our sexual and emotional energy. They deserve that because we've made a vow to them. And so we have to watch what comes in our minds and what goes out of our minds. We live in a culture that is inundated with sexuality. And so we have to monitor how we use all kinds of media because it's everywhere. Jesus says, watch what you're thinking. Watch what you're feeling about other people. Your spouse deserves your sexuality. No one else, whether it's someone you know or don't know. So we've got to watch what images that we're looking at. We've got to watch the relationships that we have. We've got to look at our relationships and say, am I connecting with another person in a way that my spouse is the only person that deserves that? And so I've got to say that that's not part of my life because my spouse is my spouse. And I've got to make sure my heart is for that person only. And so when Jesus talks about committing adultery, man, it involves the whole person and deciding that we are going to devote ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally to that person for life. That's guarding yourself. Guard your marriage to keep it strong. Allow God to be at work in that because, you know, a marriage that lasts 50, 60 years, it happens because God's at work. And so we need to ask for God's help, God's wisdom, God's strength to keep us strong, to keep the relationship strong so that there is love and joy in the midst of probably some heartache as well. But there's faithfulness. Guard your marriage to keep it strong. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and, and we have witnesses of people in the room who've been married many years, decades. And God, we're thankful for the examples that they are. Thankful for their faithfulness to you and to one another and how they show us the way. And God, we come before you today and and we pray for every single marriage that's represented here. Some of them are maybe at their strongest point ever and they're celebrating and they feel joy and love. 
And some today are here struggling, wondering if they're going to make it through. God, we just pray that your spirit would be at work in every single one of those marriages. And that you would guard them. And you would help us guard them. And that when they're, when they're hurting and when it feels like they're going to break, you would be present with your spirit and you would bind those two people together. And God, when we celebrate our marriages, we pray you'll be in the middle of that as well. Because we know that it's a fulfillment of the commands that you've given us. So God, be part of all of our families. Strengthen us. Help us to be what you've called us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus. Jesus talked about the stuff that matters in our lives. Last week we talked about how he speaks to our relationships with other people. Today we talk about how Jesus spoke to marriage. Jesus understood daily life. And he understood that part of that life is a relationship with God through him. And so he died on a cross to forgive us of our sins so that we could spend eternity with God. And so today maybe you know it's time for you to respond to that offer of this amazing gift. We want to encourage you to do that, to respond in faith and then to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you're ready to do that, we want to share with you and walk that journey with you. Or maybe you've already done that and you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.